It's a pretty good, like, intro song. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Can you hear yourself okay? Or hear me okay? Louder or too loud? No, you're good. All right, Mary, this is uh, a long overdue moment, I think. Yeah. Yes. First time on the podcast. It is. <laughs> it is your first time on the podcast. You're right. Um, it's the first time we we're having a podcast this year, ideally, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. 2024. We're already at the end of January. It's going to go by quick. Honestly. A lot of things on our plate, a lot of things going on. A lot of things have happened, right? Mm-hmm. Different aspects and the organization and the lives of the cadre. Um, kind of where we're here now. You know, there's something that you've been personally bugging me. Be like, can we do a podcast? <laughs> can we set this up? Yeah. Can we make it happen? <laughs> I think that talking to other people within the organization who have more experience than I do and being able to sit down and have that honest conversation of how can I make myself better as a firefighter and kind of take what you guys have learned through your experience and just try to apply that in my job because I've definitely been struggling lately. Okay. All right. I like that. You know, I think when you were here, what, first off, congratulations on earning the TECC certification <laughs> Thank finally. You. Thank you. Right? I That's also it. long overdue. Um, you came into our facility and we were able to get you down to take the TECC class, which hopefully was rewarding. It was. You know? It was an amazing experience. You've got a little taste of it before when you visited for a couple classes here and there to assist. You know, yeah. but finally you were like, hey, <laughs> you got I don't think I really gave you a choice. It's like, what are you doing Monday, Tuesday? You got to come over. We're doing the, the tech class. I'll sign you up. Heck yeah. And uh, yeah, it happened for a good reason. And hopefully, like I said, it was rewarding and refreshing i think it was refreshing for me too you know i get asked a lot like what what's the main feeling you get out of teaching and to me i think it's a good way of saying it's like it it is refreshing because i'm not here to you know talk about ego or walk around like we have egos or show individuals like hey this is the only way that's going to work you know i think you could probably attest to this but it's probably was a number of times i kept saying like hey there's a standard and there's a lot of techniques, right? You can think of all the different techniques to, to be able to accomplish the standard. Um, whatever kind of tourniquet you have, where the placement is, you know, for those tourniquets. But, you know, those are techniques and the standard to stop the bleed of a casualty that is actively bleeding. Um, and that relates to everything we do, right? What are you going to say? No, I was going to say I love the way that you guys approach teaching and you guys really modify the class to what the students need. And so when you're sitting here and you're talk, talking about techniques, it's you really adapt those to each and individual classes, and I've seen that. And I think that's why this class is truly different from other programs. Awesome. I love to hear it. Um, and like your, your, your other, the other student that came in with you, you know, he was messaging me for a while before he came up to the class. He's like, hey, yeah, is there a test? I'm like... Yeah, there's a test, you know, for any kind of pretty much for every you know, certification course you go through. you got to take some sort of test to see if you maintain the skills or you've been able to absorb the uh, the standard of the skills. 
And uh, I told him, it was like, you know, because he was stressed and I was like, should, should I buy the book? How can I study? Uh, can we do like one-on-one sessions beforehand? I'm like, trust me, you're going to be fine. You know, like, don't sweat it. Yeah. You know, you have such a test. And coming from somebody who is horrible at tests, like I'm, I'm the worst test taker. Um, I have too much ADHD to really focus on a piece of paper. You know, my mind will wander and, and all that. But you give me a chance to show you what I know with my hands that is the true answer of how someone's going to react. Um, so I told him, like, yeah, there's a test. Don't sweat it. We're going to work with you on it. You know, it's, it's going to be an easy test at the end of the 16 hours you're here because we're going to give you a lot of information. We're going to answer all those questions. And uh, you guys did well. You know, the, the class was, was uh, assertive, right? That We dialed it to different <laughs> ranges here and there. And, yeah. you know, finally, you know, you know our ways. And you're like, Vince, just give it to me. Just give me the, give it, give me the whole experience. I'm like, all right, we'll make it, we'll make it happen. So we ramp up the stressors here and uh, really push for those repetitions, you know, get those drills in um, to where you could fail in our schoolhouse and experience a failure, right? Because we want you to experience failure because I think that is the best way that somebody could experience the why behind the techniques, right? And behind the reasoning for getting to that standard. We push you through a lot of uh, instances and, you know, you guys learn some, hopefully you learn some techniques and you learn some styles, you learn some weaknesses. Um, and that's what we really do here. And I think last time we were on the show where we, we released a podcast, I'm sitting on like another episode. I still got to edit. And I told myself <laughs> I'm going to get this one published. Um, but we didn't talk about the achievement, you know, that we are a NAMT accredited training center so you could earn your, your con ed hours or your certifications for like TECC, TCCC uh, we're hitting the new tiers of the TCCC realm um, what else we got? M- MHRO the mental health resilience officer we're also doing the psychological trauma and EMS patients um, what else is there? the wilderness class wilderness class, <laughs> right? we got a wilderness class a program that we're going to be doing here yeah, we got the TECC specially adapted for law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. So we've the one day class. With other people. Yeah, which I always encourage people that hey, if you're interested in it, you know, just come for the full two day experience. Absolutely, you know, it's a definitely much. It's more worth, worth it. Yeah. Um, hence why we didn't really we haven't really held that one day class at all. You know, because most of the students and the law enforcement officers who come to our two day class, they agree. It's like, hey, we loved it much have rather been here for two days if not more and that's where the new tier is going you know we're going to be able to have students a lot a lot longer here because the new tier of TCCC um, it's going to go from a seven hour class or a 40 hour class up to a 63 hour class you know so imagine what opportunities we're going to have you know and be able to, to make these students really practice hard for these these skills and um, the learning environment where we could go with it you know going outside going to the wilderness of the classes we're doing american heart associations right so bls heart saver bls instructor um, we got a couple cop classes so we were going to do a weapons defense techniques or tactics uh we had a we're bringing a guest over to hold for concealed carry license you know we wanted to use the facilities we're open to bringing guest organizations to hold their classes here um, we got a pretty well figured out I'd say building, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's just it's figured out how we want it. And I think, you know, it kind of checks a box for all the things that we've been looking for. We got some office space that really kind of allows the cadre to, you know, figure out their tasks and then 
we've got a podcast table, you know, out there. Um, Sim lab, you know, that we turn into a kind of a clinic area for the classes. Small classroom, uh, student break room, where we collect all the patches, kind of our way of, you know, if we really earned it as an organization to, you know, accept your patch or for you to give it to us, and we'll put it on the wall kind of with pride. Um, and then we have the actual giant training room, so to speak, that is a large classroom. And Home Depot was here yesterday. Um, they graciously had donated their time and sponsored for the supplies for us to build a new training room. Right. I'm excited to see it. I haven't seen yeah. it yet. So I it's not complete. to the office. It's not complete yet. A lot. The walls are built. Okay. Um, but we have to put them up, and there's a, a couple tasks we have to do um, just to secure them to the floor and this and that. So it's going to take probably another day or so. Okay. And, uh, but they were here until like 12, and they loved the place. You know, I gave them a tour, talked okay. about our history, you know, who we are, what we do. Um, and some of them were in tears, to be honest, you know, because they were family members of veterans or people who are still in as well. And once they realized, like, hey, because I shared my story, and you know, some of them asked me one-on-one, like, why are you really doing this? And um, I think I just answered, like, this is this is therapy. You know, this is, this is therapeutic uh, to be able to do this. That's why I teach. You know, it's therapeutic when students are really allowing themselves to be vulnerable, not only in their skills, but also their egos, right? Because, unfortunately, a lot of people have that egos. Everybody should have it to a good extent, right? Ego is confidence. Um, but when you're overconfident and you're, you know, neglecting where you came from, you know, that's, that's where we need a little bit of a reality check. And I'm sure we all fall victim to do that at some point of our lives. But I find this to be a therapeutic way for me to reignite, you know, or keep the ignition of, of the passion behind what we do. So to kind of lean or have students lean to you for the knowledge and for the information that they enjoy. And they seem to all leave this facility really happy you know nobody's rushing out the door saying like we gotta go i I can't take this anymore you know everybody's staying longer you know just the other day like i kept saying like you guys are free to go you know i don't want i could talk all day you know i don't want to make you guys feel like you need to stay we just wanted to hang out here i know (laughs) and that's what we want to do we want to be an organization that it's it is a hangout place you know that is comforting um your answers are going to be answered or your questions are going to be answered kind of things and we're willing to be open to just more than training Right, it's like you stayed a little longer and you practice some innovations. You know, Lewis stayed with you and he, he you know, kind of just helped you out as much as you can. So it was, it was cool because I, I was busy, you know, cleaning up and doing all the administrative stuff for the classes. But I sat here at one point when you guys were working and training in the uh, sim lab, and I'm like, this is really cool. Like, this is an achievement that there's actually people here doing above and beyond to accomplish their or make their skills better, make their practice better whether it's learning to become an instructor or coming to be and in, in going through our classes, get that certification, staying longer to practice innovations or help somebody that needs help with innovations, going over those techniques to achieve those standards. You know, it's a, it's a moment to be sharing the wealth. And it seems like that is also our outlet that, yes, unfortunately, we have become very busy, that we tend to neglect the podcast side of the house, you know, and I think we're slowly... Um, reamping that and trying to make it a priority to come back into it. Sometimes it takes Mary to get in my ear and be like, <laughs> get a podcast, let's go, you know. And here we are, you know, this was a spur of the moment, I think. Yeah. Somewhat-ish, maybe. Um, our style is just start talking, play some music that kind of, apparently you said you were listening to this, right? <laughs> on, on my the way, way in. in. 
I was like, let's continue that vibe. You know, hopefully your the drive-in was all good vibes. Um, and if it wasn't, you know, like, this is also a way to, to open it up and talk about some of those things. So, but enough about me because I could be ranting all day. What's going on with you? What's new with you? What's what's in your world? What's in Mary's world? That was that should be a movie. I feel like I haven't Mary's really world. even introduced myself. That's right. Yeah. The podcast. Who the hell are you? <laughs> right. So my name is Mary. I am new to the cadre. I've been in the fire service for about three and a half years now, um, and I've had experience at multiple departments, which is awesome. I'm currently trying to get my app in for paramedic school for this next round. Uh, finally getting that going. Um, but I met within thin lines after I ran a really, really hard call and that call completely made me sit down. It was, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I stopped working out. I wasn't reaching out to my friends and my paramedic partner, uh, cause I work ALS, uh, was like, Hey, I know these guys. And I think that you just need to have a real conversation and I, I tried to keep everything hidden, not that I was doing a really great job at it, um, but I had the opportunity to sit down with Vince, and he was like, all right, let's be real. What are you, what's going through your head? And I was able to get it out. Uh, I got set up with some really amazing resources, and, you know, I'm working my way back. And so because of that, I really want to step into this role of being a cadre and help other people who are running tough calls and just realize that, like, hey, you know, we have tough days, we have bad days, but we're going to make it through it. And we have some people who, you know, you guys have cheered me on every step of the way over these past 12 months. And, you know, I just, we're still breathing. We're still living. Yeah. And we're going to get through it. Challenges are going to come and go, right? Sometimes I think more people get a little more overwhelmed with challenges that they forget that, hey, there's a good side, you know, of the challenges. Um, I'm sure not everybody's going to agree with me because the challenges are – the extent of some of the challenges that people face could be a lot harder than some can even imagine. Um, but to me, I see is like, if there's a challenge, it's a good thing, right? Challenges are good. Um, we should consider that as whatever fall fail failures, any kind of flaws we encounter. Um, if there's any kind of road bumps on our paths towards whatever we're trying to achieve, right? Um, any hiccups that we might encounter, Anything that seems like we're there's something that is just getting in our way to being happy, right? And I see it as those challenges are should be sought as a friendly reminder to stay humble, right? That there's always room for improvement. That we should be continuing every day, every day of our life with a mentation of like, I need to assess the rest of my life. I need to figure out instead of getting tunneled vision on those, that one challenge, you know, focus on the bigger picture, you know, focus on the wins of the day, focus on maybe that's what it is. You know, if you had a challenging day, maybe it's cause it's, it's a reminder that you never really gave the small wins, the respect they needed, you know, um, or the credit it needed. You know, you woke up, you got your shoes on, you know, that's a win. Hopefully you made coffee. That's a win, you know. <laughs> there was one day I was just really struggling, and I called you, and you were like, all right, 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'm going to give you a little wake-up call, and you're going to go on a run. And I was like, there ain't no chance in Hades that I'm getting up early. 
And so I'd set my alarm for like 15 minutes before your call, instantly fell back asleep. And I woke up and I was like, good morning, Vince. And you're like, all righty, let's get it going. (laughs) (laughs) And I I put on my shoes. It was raining that morning. It sucked. Um, But I got up and I did it. And I remember you just saying like, hey, you were the only one out there at 4 a.m. You were the only one out there in the rain. You got your mile in and you did it. And I remember just feeling so proud of that one mile. It was not a good time. It was, it was cold. It was rainy. It was, you know, my time for my one mile was so off. Um, but you were like, Hey, you did it. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned from WTL is discipline and I'm learning and I'm not the best at it yet, but I know that I'm trying. So That's right. It is discipline. You know, we kind of hold ourselves accountable, accountable, so to speak. And I see that like amongst all the cadre here, you know, kind of doing, because we have our, our own little group space that we'll chat and, you know, you'll ask a question about like a test or something. And then it goes into a two hour rant of random stuff <laughs> that you weren't expecting to be talking about. Um, but it just, that little conversation that you initiated just blew up into this, this environment of support, right. To really dissect all those possibilities, you know, that could come out of whatever patient that was that you were talking about. And I was, again, I was just sitting back and like, man, these, these guys and gals are really getting at it. You know, they're really talking about things and they're going through and they're going through the steps, um, the iterations, you know, they're rolling things out. And like, that's, that's how we should be focusing on life as well. You know, go through the steps instead of being so fixated on, you know, the top tier of where those stairs go to look at the step ahead of you, you know, take that as a win, take every single step as you can as a win. And sometimes it feels like you're, you somehow find yourselves stepping backwards or it just feels like that somebody pushed you down the stairs as you're making progress. Um, but maybe that's the reminder like, Hey, it's cause you didn't pay attention to the first step, you know, or Hey, it's cause you tried skipping step number three. You know, we, we need to really focus on again, those small wins and then the small details of the picture in order to really develop the bigger picture, which is the accomplishment you're trying to achieve or, the challenge you're trying to overcome. And yeah, you know, I think that's, that's kind of the mentation here, you know, that we do as cadre. And I think um, if I were to say, Hey, everybody, every listener could come on board and be an experience that, you know, I think we'd be cool. And maybe we're going to try doing that on our website, you know, having all our members, our previous students, you know, come on board and share their ideas, you know, and you kind of just, we watch and, you know, see how they handle things and, how they're able to overcome some of the challenges they're talking about. And it becomes a group of, you know, like-minded individuals who are only here wanting to learn. And we're all trying to do that. You know, whether it's myself or, you know, the VPs or Bushio, you know, um, who's out in Vegas right now having a good time <laughs> apparently. You know, or Lewis, you know, that he's, I'm, I'm slowly giving him the leadership role of the uh, TCC program, you know, because I think you and, Mary had gave me a little bit of a talk like, Hey, like we need to give us responsibility. So we take off less, you know, less on your shoulders. I'm like, all right, that's true. You know, I got to share the wealth and it lets us really look at the big picture of the foundation and where we're going. But ultimately I think this has really turned into an environment where it's been productive. You know, we've had our challenges, you know, we've had our, our struggles. We've had our salty moments, our fears, right? And you're, those moments are going to come and go. You know, you're going to meet people who 
want to be part of the team and, and, you know, you always wonder like, Hey, what's, what's the actual, um, what's their angle. Right. And if it's not productive to the rest of the cadre, then, you know, then it's not, it's not needed. You know, if it's not beneficial to the essence of like, Hey, trying to help everybody, then that's not the right environment we're trying to go for. Should it be challenging? Sure. I love a challenge. You know, I love a challenging question. Because, again, that gives me a moment to allow myself to be vulnerable. And the more you allow yourself to be vulnerable, the more you do a little bit of a self-improvement. You know, you do a little bit of a self-reflection. And there was a, a quote, actually, that I saw on my way here that was really perfect. I couldn't tell you who this is. I have no idea who it is. Um, but I'm not going to give him credit for it. But Mark Manson? I don't know. No idea. So... Sorry, Mark Manson, if you're listening to this, but we found your, uh, I saw a picture of your Twitter statement, I guess. Uh, maybe it's Instagram, but it says, I am Mark Manson. Anyway, this quote goes to credit to him, but I was like, you know what, this is kind of, this is the truth, right? And I'm going to probably read it twice because it's going to take a moment or two to really see where this statement's going, but it goes like this. Most personal growth is intellectually simple, but emotionally difficult. But we hate what's emotionally difficult. So we convince ourselves that self-improvement is intellectually complicated when it's really not. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Over time. Most personal growth is intellectually simple, but emotionally difficult. But we hate what's emotionally difficult. So we convince ourselves that self-improvement is intellectually complicated when it's not. And of course, I butcher the second time I read it. But... Yeah, and I was like, you know, this is kind of a, a good topic. And I know Mary's, you know, kind of put a bug in my ear about what we're going to be talking about without going into detail because I love the spontaneity of the conversations we have here. And I was like, this seems to be a good fit for what we do. Because a lot of people neglect the challenges. They neglect that moment to get that personal growth. Or they see a challenge as like all, all negative, right? But the minute you, you turn your gears and you look at it as like a positive opportunity – because again, good, it's allowing me to be self-reflective or good. It's allowing me to realize, hey, we got to work on things on an organization or as an agency or as a department. Or good, this is telling me that I need to pay more attention to myself and my true, my true needs, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whether intellectually, <laughs> right? Um to me, it's like one of those little red flags that they put up and be like, hey, it's because you're neglecting something in your life, you know? So maybe turn that as a moment to, uh, you're just there smiling and nodding at me, right? <laughs> right? But maybe you just need to turn turn it into like, hey, just a reality check. And Tom Hanks, everybody loves Tom Hanks. <laughs> I was watching a podcast that uh, he was on, and he made a great statement. It was like, this too shall pass. Just look at it as that. This too shall pass. With the disclaimer of pay attention to the small details that you're neglecting or you've been neglecting your whole life. Family, friends, the work-life balance, um, your hobbies, right? Your personal de desires. If you could go back to the nine-year-old version of you, what would they aspire to become? How would they look at you now if you could have a conversation with them, Right? 
Or how would you respond if they asked you, how was it? You know, that always takes a moment to be like, damn. You know, if you could give your nine-year-old version a reality check or advice, what would you say? To me, I think it would be don't doubt yourself as much as I do. And that's a really hard statement for me to say out loud because I think whether it's here in class or, you know, I'm also a college student. So even in college, it's, you know, I always take that second step to be like, all right, is that, am I really sure? And I know just, just this week in class, it was like, do it because you got it. And you were right the first time. And so I think it's really just having that self-confidence of, hey, I, I know my stuff. And I just, I got to do it. Yep. What would you tell your nine-year-old self? Man. <laughs> I like your version, right? I probably find a way to tell myself not to doubt. But then also not to hesitate. You know? Don't, um... Don't waste time. You know, I think that's a, a, a big thing for me, especially. It's like, hey... We're not, we're not promised time. You know, we're not guaranteed time. We're not awarded time, right? So don't hesitate. There's something you really want to do, something you really want to accomplish, something you really want to experience. Don't hesitate. And obviously, in my beliefs, if we could time travel and find a way to talk to yourself, so you don't want to change how, you know, history writes itself, because isn't that how you build loopholes, or now we got a giant black hole in the universe, and everything <laughs> falls apart, right? Rick and Morty episode, I'm sure they've done something like that, but if I could find a way to talk to the nine-year-old version of me and, and say things without changing the experiences that I knew that I had to go through, right? Because I think that brings value. You know, if we didn't, we didn't, if you didn't go through the experiences you went through in this, this many years since you were nine year, nine years old, you wouldn't know what you know now. I probably wouldn't know you guys. That's right. And that's <laughs> true. a scary thought. That's, oh, come on. But that's true though, you know, and I'm sure we could all think back and be like, I wish I would have changed this and I wish I would have done that. And just in a matter of time that you're thinking and wishing and, you know, hoping you could find a way to change the past, you've wasted time to the future. You know, it's like instead of dwelling on the things that has happened, look ahead of you. You know, what what is it that you could work on moving forward from this very moment that you could either change what the outcome was or honor what the losses you had to go through. I forget what it was. It was something specific that I somebody asked me earlier this week. He was like, how do I let go of it? I'm like, just instead of fix, fixating on, oh, actually, I do know. And this is probably going to lead into the conversation where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we'll get to my subject in a second here. So remind me to uh, talk about my honoring moment. So and what else is going on with you? I think the biggest thing going on in my brain right now is how as a firefighter on 
kind of like the lower scale. Like I said, like I only have three and a half years of experience. I'm I'm not a senior firefighter. I'm kind of still very green. Um, but how can I improve the attitude of my firehouse right now from where I'm at? And I think that question has really been taking up a lot of space to the point of I've had multiple conversations with a lot of the cadre members and just trying to be like, listen, I feel like we've almost lost the passion. And I don't know if it was from a specific call. I don't know if it was, you know, we are all people outside of the firehouse. Yeah, we're together 24 hours, but we have wives, we have husbands, we have kids, we have, you know, everything else going on. But if I'm going to be in a firehouse and I'm supposed to be teaching, how can I make that better? Give me an example of the challenges. <laughs> Don't laugh. Um, I think one of the challenges is I've kind of been appointed a liaison between the recruits and my officers. And it's not a place that I inserted myself into. It's not something that my officers asked of me. Um, but I think just with my schedule, a lot of the recruits tend to reach out to me and be like, hey, can we do this training? And I'll turn around and I'll be like, hey, LT, this is what I got asked. Like, I'd love to set something up. And it was, it always goes back to why are they reaching out to you and not a lieutenant? And I'm just like, hey, I got recruits who are, you know, wanting to get in the door, wanting to do stuff. Like, I will make sure that they, I refer them back to you. And in front of them, I always try to be like, all right, that's a great idea. Let's see what the lieutenant says. Um, but I think it's just hard because it comes down to, who has the power? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's a, it's a uh, not a power check, but it's a power move, right? It's a flex. And I think a lot of people tend to wear when they are put in a titled position. It gives them the responsibility to develop, you know, those programs. But it's a power move. You know, they they've they've earned that moment, and some of them, yeah, for sure. You could tell that there's a lot of individuals who earn that rank and they play the game, you know, they play the part and they fulfill it. Um, and then there's some that you need individuals like a barn boss, right? I don't know if you know that terminology. No. All right. That's a terminology in one of the places I've worked and barn boss is kind of like, Hey, it's not an individual of rank. And I realistically, and I'm sure people who are listening are going to counter inject, you know, like my definition here, but to me, the barn boss isn't the common person, right? Again, person of non-rank um, with the most amount of time, right? Nor is it the person that's been in that house or the agency um, the longest. To me, the barn boss is the person that you can trust to figure out solutions, right? They're the ones who are taking their times to show you what needs to be done and not just say, Hey, go grab a mop. Right. They're showing you physically by doing it. And you're like, Oh, well he's obviously doing something like, let me go help him. And it becomes a routine that he, they're always showing you something more, right? They're showing you a little extra, um, how to do your rig checks, right? How to take care of the house, right? How do you do some of the administrative tasks that we all have to do? Um, and yeah, you know, the, when it comes to training, that's that's supposed to be designated to a lieutenant, right, somebody of rank. 
because they they sign off on the stuff for that crew. But in my world, it's like if you are an officer of a group of men and women who are taking self-initiative to be better, be proud that you've made that environment, right? Be proud that you've allowed that kind of environment. So to me, to hear that you have new recruits on your department leaning to you and they're going to you, A, it's telling me that you're taking care of business, right? That means you're actually like, you're not just like, yeah, we'll take care of it. You know, you're actually putting effort. So they trust you. You know, you've gained the trust. Um, and if that means because you've gone long distances to accomplish what is needed to be done, or it's because you're actually following up with their requests, you know, to me, that's that's something that we all should have as an attribute as part of our uniform, not as part of our rank. You know what I mean? And I think that's uh, neglected sometimes. I think that's something, it's a, it's a lost trait. Because you encounter a lot of people in the workforces, whether it's fire, EMS, um, law, military, right? I could talk about that for days. That there's a lot of in individuals in it that you sometimes wonder, like, are you, why? Why do you really want to be here? Yeah. What is your reason? What's your angle? You know, because um, if all you're going to do is complain about doing EMS job runs, or all you're going to do is complain about having to fight fire or do the job, and then it's like. Go get another job, you know. Go be happy if that's what it takes. Go do something else. I know that's one of the, like the first things I ask my recruits when I meet them is, you know, here's why I want to be in this profession, and I I try to be as honest and as vulnerable as possible. It's I grew up with my mom having cancer, and then she had a stroke, so fire and EMS were always at my house, and you know, a lot of those guys had kids my age, so I would see them at school and. I was just like, wow, like those, those guys came at 2 a.m., came up my stairs. I was so little. I was crying in my room. I had no idea what was going on. And my dad was like, it's okay. These guys are the good ones. They're going to take them. They're going to get mom to the hospital, and they're going to do everything they can. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling my recruits this, and they're like, oh, wow, that's deep. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, everybody has a different reason of why we want to be here. And, yes, a lot of us really do just want to help people. So that's an okay answer. But, like, I want to get into the real why of why you want to be here, whether whatever it is, because if I know why you're here and if I I can see that you're passionate about it, I, it kind of sets up how you're going to move around in this firehouse and how much you really want this. And, yeah. <laughs> it's going to set up how everybody else is going to put work into you, yeah. right, or help you because they're – you know, we, we're not going to invest on something we know is going to walk away. Right. You know, or doesn't really desire to be challenged and pushed. You know, I've, I've encountered individuals who just earn the badge and all of a sudden they are the hottest shit, right? Like they know everything. Six months going on 16 years. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but that goes both ways, right? And I'm sure a lot of people just agreed, me, agreed with me on that side. But here's the reality, Chuck. Just because you've been on for 16 years doesn't mean you're also hot shit. Yeah. You know, don't be lazy. Don't be the one that is just coming to work to swipe in and swipe out. You know, take the time to build the next recruits to take your position. You know, and then put yourself accountable too that you're on the job with them. You should be training as hard 
right? You should be taking yourself as hard. You should be hitting the gym as well, you know, that you are physically capable of performing your tasks. And just because you haven't seen those tasks need to be done for a while doesn't mean it's not going to happen, you know? We all hear about the reoccurring line of duty deaths, you know, whether it's an incident on the scene or a congenital issue that they encounter after fighting that fire. Or it goes into being complacent with, like, oh, this is how everybody does it, so I'm just going to do it too, right? I'm not really going to take care of the patients. I'm not really going to do my task. Hell, I mean, looking on Facebook and all the news, I mean, there's there's other states that are, they're firing medics. I think it's two instances. They're firing medics who pronounced a person dead when they weren't. You know? oh and it's like that's horrible. How how do we encounter that? Yeah. You know? How do we how do we get to that point? How do we allow ourselves to get to our point within our careers? You know. We gotta find we each have to find something that maintains that accountability. And I think instructing is my way of maintaining myself accountable. Because if I showed up to your class and I walk in and you're here to learn TCC and I'm like, I don't know what TCC stands for. I don't know what March stands for. I can't remember how to put a tourniquet. Like, there's no credibility in that, right? So I do got to show up with you know, top my top game. And what I love <laughs> love about my squirrel moments because, and you come to our course, you're gonna hear me talking about the squirrels a lot because it seems like I've got multiple squirrels like digging around in my brain at all times, all of a sudden, like, I'll remember something and be like, ah, let's go train on this real quick, you know? Because I try to avoid the PowerPoints, you know? I don't I don't have the time span, <laughs> attention span to sit there and, you know, read slides at you. That's not what I'm going to do. All right, I'm going to show you what's important, then I'm going to train you the hands-on portion because that's the stuff you're going to remember when you leave and you encounter those high-stress moments. You're not going to remember what's on the PowerPoints. I can't remember who said it, but it was somebody at FDIC was doing a talk about how do we kind of keep our morale within ourselves, not just with other people. And they were talking about accountability and it's, you know, it's the basic things of, you know, I'm not there five minutes early. I'm there 30 minutes early. You know, I'm not just, you know, doing basic, you know, not in-depth rig checks. It's, hey, I'm pulling out my pack. I'm attaching my mask. I'm breathing that last two breaths I turn my pack off to make sure my diaphragm's working. And it's just getting back into that, hey, what if I got out of the academy yesterday? Because I remember the day after your academy and I was on shift, I was like, all right, I got A, B, and C to do. And I still try to hold myself to that because it's, you know, I don't want to get into complacency. And I think that's something that has been a struggle with some other members. Mm. Yeah. That kind of reminds me back into one of my old departments I used to work for uh, up in Michigan. And I talked to this individual still on, you know, occasional basis here, but um, TJ at this department up, up North Michigan. Um, he was, when I got on the department, he was my, my FTO, so to speak. He's not of rank. Um, he's just kind of like that specific barn boss who's been trusted by the people of rank to say, Hey, you know, we're going to assign you a candidate 
And for the next six months, like it is on you to show them the ways things are done here in this department, right? Through fire academy and all that, they teach you the ways of, you know, kind of the standards again. They show you what needs to be done. And then when you get to the firehouse, that's that's where you learn the techniques, right? That is uh, done at that firehouse. So that's what they did for six months. They showed me their techniques. And I was a firefighter beforehand, you know, so I already came in with my certs and all that. And it was cool to see how another fire department does their ways. But what I take a lot of, um, what I'm really grateful for is that TJ, you know, he he immediately sat down with me, right? He got to know me. It wasn't like, hey, you're a candidate. Like, forget everything you've ever done. This is how things are moving forward. Like, it's not about that. It's he, he took a moment to really sit down and, like, get to know my experiences, right? Get to know my accomplishments, um, my achievements, and assess what has worked for me in the past. And then as we went through the next six months, it was like, hey, show me how to do this. And then if there's anything that needed to be changed, he would take the time to change it. Be like, hey, that's, that's either a bad or good way of doing things. Let's show you this technique, right? And I think what really made me proud of him for what he was doing is that it came to a moment where, you know, another individual um, maybe wanted to have some sort of similar effect on my career or um, wanted to flex a little bit, so to speak. And try to pull the discipline card on me for something that occurred. And I remember going through it and I was like, (laughs) and to me, like straight and narrow, like I'll just, I'll take it, right? I'm going to look at you and just let you do your thing. And then when you're done, I'm like, are you done? And I'll continue forward, right? Um, But it, it annoyed me that day, you know, what occurred and why or how that individual kind of flexed because he went out of his way to, make sure that he disciplined me in the sight of people of rank. And I go back to do my duties and my FTO comes up and, you know, he asked me, you know, how I'm, how I'm doing. I'm like, well, this is what just happened. And it kind of pissed me off. And I remember hearing the conversation of him storm into that individual and be like, listen, he's my candidate, Right. So if you have a problem with him, you come through me because whatever he's doing is because of me. It's a reflection of me, right? So if they're failing, it's because I'm not doing a good job job enough to fix those failures. Um, If they mess up, it's because there might have been another reason why there is a mess up other than their skills. And he defended me in that aspect. And I was like, you know what? This is is really cool. This is a really good work environment. And... You know, that's just a reminder that that's how we should be doing all our tasks is taking ownership and taking accountability of those individuals underneath us, right? Just like you're doing for the new recruits. You're trying to make their dreams and their desires achieved, you know, whether it's training and whatnot. And yes, unfortunately, you're going to have to encounter that conversation with whoever's in charge of training and be like, here's, here's what I'm hoping to do. And if they ask you, in my opinion, right, if they ask you, like, well, how come they're coming to you and not through me? And 
feel like I'm going to go on a rant. <laughs> right? Here's a good example. I went through the new fire academy for the current job I have. And I had to go through it again. And no matter what your experience is, if you're already certified, everybody has to go through it. Right? Um, within the first, like, two days, because, you know, they took it as very paramilitary, and they try to break the egos and they try to break the bad personalities and this and that to show the discipline behind the duty. And for me, it's like I immediately stood up and I was like, hey, let's get our, let's get our shit together. Let's dress right dress. You know, we're all candidates. Um, let's get loud when we need to get loud. You know, let's do be there at the right time, right place, all that stuff, right uniform. And eventually – Throughout the six months of going through that academy, um, the 119 students I had in my class delegated me as a class leader. So I ended up getting an award for the class for it. But something that, you know, I still have some people text me from that class and just check in with me, you know. And I had a conversation with him a little while ago, and he kind of lingered on. He was like, hey, you know, something you kept saying really stuck with me ever since academy. I'm like, oh, what? And he's like, when you took charge of us, so to speak, you didn't come up and say, hey, I know what the answer is. Follow me. It was you always taking the time to ask us, what do we want? What do we need? Right? How, how, what do we need to have to be successful? And you kept saying that you were, you were not the person that was just giving us the answers. You were the person that was giving us the voice, right? To have a voice. And you were taking our voices and our, our requests and you were going right to leadership and requesting that, right? And maybe that's what you need to reflect to that person that's questioning. He's like, why are they coming to you versus coming to us? And be like, just be proud that they have somebody they could trust, right? Be proud that they are working amongst themselves, it's just like chain of command. An officer shouldn't know about a problem until it becomes a problem, right? But let the workforce figure it out. Yeah. You know? I think the biggest thing, or the biggest things that can hurt morale in the fire service is integrity, mm-hmm. discipline, um, standards. Loyalty, um, duty, courage, right? <laughs> all, all those things, yeah. But, like, even basic and coming back to fun, like, I I hate calling the firehouse work. It's always, all right, guys, I'm leaving. I'm heading to the fire service or whatever, or the firehouse. And it's gotten to a point where it's not even fun anymore. And I love my job. And I, I love the opportunities to train on duty. And, you know, we have a really great – relationship with our mutual aid companies and training with them and reaching out and it's gotten to a point where it's not even fun for me and so it's like as somebody who is entrusted as a mentor for these recruits it's like okay I personally need to step back and be like all right why am I doing this why am I here why do I want to be here and so it's been a lot of going back to you know thinking about the fire academy of why am I pushing myself so hard for this and I try to ask the recruits that all the time is, you know, I get that you were on shift three days ago and I saw you three days ago, but it's three days later. Why are you here today? And I think that's something that I actually picked up from another cadre member, Hayden, 
And he was like, I ask my guys all the time is I'm here for a reason. Why are you here? And it's, it's standards and it's, I want everybody to be on the same level. And, you know, I try not to be like, oh, I'm higher than you because I'm not. I'm three and a half years into this. I still have so much to learn. I will always be learning. But it's, hey, what do I know that can help you? And maybe, hey, if we're doing a drill and you think of something, I want to practice it too. And it's it's the act of getting in gear with them, doing drills with them, you know, putting my Nomex over my mask and doing blacked out drills with them. A lot of self-reflection. When you went through your candidacy, so to speak, or you came out of the academy, did you have somebody like that? I did, and he's now a lieutenant. And I think the greatest thing was I'd text him 24 hours before I'm on shift. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to be on shift with you tomorrow. These are some things I want to work on. Is it okay? And he was a person who's, heck yeah, let's get into gear. I have so many, you know, uh, things running through my mind of how I can set up drills for you. And it was always fun. It wasn't, oh, you suck at something. And I think, and I, I own up to this with my recruits now, is the biggest thing I struggled with was the confident courses of going like under makeshift wires and trusting that I had enough space. And he was definitely the person who would get under there with me and he'd sit and he'd be like, all right, I see how much room you have. You can do it. And seeing how I learn from him, there are things that I take from him and ways that I know that I like as a learner and try to spin that to how I can help the recruits now. So he was kind of an inspiration maybe deep inside that you wanted to share your experience to the future recruits. Absolutely. Yeah, I like it. And I'm sure there's some others who could, you know, answer that question and be like, you know, I didn't have a good, you know, FTO or I didn't have a good mentor. And I'm sure I've had my experiences of reflecting back and be like, yeah, there's a couple moments where I looked at that person mentoring me, you know, wherever I was at at the time and be like, you're not showing me what I want to be. You're showing me what I don't want to become. You know, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be the the paramedic that is making chest pain patients walk to the cot and all of a sudden go into cardiac arrest. Right. That's the experiences I had when I was an EMT, even before I thought about being a paramedic. Cause I kept seeing it. I'm like, Hmm, if I wanted to rule things out to kind of paint the picture, of why these people are standing up, walking a couple of steps and then dying. Is it because of the walking? That's wrong. I need to fix that. You know what? I am going to go to medical school cause I want to know how to prevent that. I want to be the medic of an ambulance company who doesn't expose the EMTs to those frustrations, right, of the complacency and the intolerance, or I guess what do you want to call it, the laziness, right? Because if that's all they see, then that's that's what they think needs to be done, and that's what they think the career is about, right? So I devoted myself to be like, I, I want to be that FTO in the future and be like, taking the time with these candidates, right? Showing them the techniques to get to the standards and allowing them to make up their own techniques. Like what we do in class, you know, 
I'm not going to, uh, yeah, I know what appropriate way would be to stock up an IFAC, but what did I tell you from the beginning? Figure it out, right? Test it out. See what works. Figure, you know, try your own techniques that you currently do at your department. Run it through this program and then allow yourself to go through those mistakes and say, you know what? This actually doesn't work, right? Maybe we need to modify our techniques, but we never know until we fail. We fail at it. You know, and I think, again, that goes back to why we have challenges in our lives. We've got to fail at some things to really understand the why. You know, I know you're looking at me like, hey, damn, you're getting deep. <laughs> but Tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. That's right. Tell if me more. If you ever take a class with Vince, it is tell me more. Tell That's me more. Right. Tell me tell everything me you know. Tell me more. Dissect it, right? And it, it always makes me proud when other cadre is starting to do it too. You know, <laughs> I started using it at the yeah, firehouse. I'm like, hell yeah. I said it the other day and I was like, dang it, Vince. Mm-hmm. I was like, he's got it in my head. Hell yeah. And why do you think I do that though? You're trying to pull all the information that we know. And I think it goes back to my thing of telling my nine-year-old self to have confidence is because I was sitting in class the other day and you were asking me questions and I was like, I know the answer. But when Vince asked me a question, <laughs> I don't know if I know the answer anymore. And he's like, all right, tell me more. And going back to asking the cadre a question about a patient, it was going back to, all right, tell me everything you know and tell me why you would answer a question the way that you would. Because then, A, I can show you what I do or do not know, and you can help me kind of fill in where I'm missing something. But it's also proving to you that, or whatever level of knowledge I have, and how can we build on it. I think that's really important. It is. It is. I think the main reason why I always respond to students asking me those little questions, you know, um, with the tell me more, or they try to answer my questions with not enough information, right, is because realistically, you all have the answer, right? But whenever we as human beings encounter a challenge, we seek the quickest and easiest route out of the challenge. We seek the instant feedback, you know, the instant fix and the instant answer, right? But the more, and it, it happens every single class, the more you use that, it's like, tell me more. And then it ignites them to start word vomiting everything they know about it. And by the end of that 20 minute vomit session, they're looking up and be like, Oh, I get it. And be like, exactly, right? Because you already knew. You already had the answer. It's just talk it through. And we got to talk talk some of those problems through, just like we're doing here in the, on the podcast. You got to have those conversations. As ugly and as, as unwanted some of the conversations are, you got to be able to talk, right? And my biggest thing about having this conversation with my officers is like, how do I do it in a manner that isn't coming off as disrespectful? Because I don't mean it to be. But when it comes to all of those things that can bring down the morale of a firehouse is, you know, discipline for one recruit may not look the same as another, even though they've done the same thing. The integrity, you know, having that fun on shift, but having the passion to actually want to be there and to have that strong leadership and that role model, whether it's me or another fireman as a mentor, and when we can't figure it out, bringing it up to lieutenants, but knowing that if we do that, it's not going to be a bad conversation. 
Yeah. So usually it's, it's taken negatively? Yeah. Okay. Kind of like a flex, so to speak. Like, why are you challenging us? Yeah. Okay. And I think that's hard is because, you know, I'm not saying everything from leadership needs to be communicated to those of, like, the lower ranking. But I think there needs to be some trust of, like, hey, if I come to you and I'm saying that, like, you know, genuinely I'm having a problem or I'm struggling with something, I want to know that it's going to be reciprocated and acknowledged. And I'm not saying, you know, this is going to be a one conversation, one fix issue. But I think being able to have that open conversation of, you know, hey, Lieutenant, I have a recruit who's really struggling and, you know, I could use some help and it not be, oh, it's because you don't know as much as me. And it can be, okay, well, here's an opportunity for both of you to learn something. Because at the end of the day, that's my goal as a firefighter. Like, Maybe turn it up to opportunity to be like, hey, listen, LT, like, you got a lot of things on your plate. You got a lot of things you got to do, right, administratively as well. A, see this as an opportunity where you allow us to figure out our own solutions, right, to be successful for what we have to do for you. And then maybe just start the conversation and be like, what do you what do you see out of me, right? Ask him that or her that. Be like, what do you what do you want out of me? What do you expect out of me? What do you see me to achieve in the next five years? Right? And if it's any sort of and allow them to answer, obviously, and then hopefully they give you a positive answer. And but if it's any sort of, hey, we want you to have leadership skills or you know, maybe one day become an LT, right? Um, and in that case it'd be like, allow me to have this experience then to experience how to handle people, right? How to deal with people, how to deal with the challenges. Yes, there are challenges where they automatically have to come to you, right? Because those challenges are becoming problems. Um, well, when it's little things, little tasks, right? You don't need that on your plate. Allow us to come up with the opportunity to figure it out. This is allowing me to be self-reflective. This is allowing me to have some personal growth. And maybe see what they uh, react to that. There's something I'm looking for. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> well, how do you think they would react to that? I think it'd be a really great way to start a conversation. Because my thing is always like, how do I word that I'm having a problem of where I am? Because they they gave me this mentorship role for a reason. And I hope that it's because they've seen what I've done on shift and in training and they trust me enough to really help out somebody else. But I think it's really hard when at every turn it's it's almost like a checklist of, you know, are you doing it? You know? Um, I'll try. Try to word it. How do you think they're going to react if they if you ask them, what, what do you want out of me? What do you think they're going to say? Just do your job? I hope that they would say to help this recruit to become a firefighter. Whether it's, you know, reviewing stuff on shift, going through rigs, uh, going through rig checks on our, our app called Accelerant. Um, 
whether it's house duties or training or gear problems and just sitting there through the struggle with them. And I hope that's what they'd say. There's a terminology, and I think it's really going to be um, paramount to this conversation. And a little while ago, because for, for you to go through the ranks in the Army, at least, um, you have to go through, like, developmental courses, leadership courses, so to speak, you know. And a little while ago, I went to uh, what they call SLC. Um Part of this actually had a paper we had to write talking about, you know, the roles and responsibilities of leaders versus the workforce. And there's a really good terminology I really want to find. Ah, there we go. Damn, all right, we're about to go the right direction. I'm going to ask you this first. How would you define disciplined initiative? In layman's term, I think discipline is just, you know, even if it's hard, you're doing it. And so to take that initiative, to start it, is the most important thing that you could do. So what kind of things, what kind of discipline should be initiated by the individual, like self-initiated? By the recruit or by the officers? By the recruit. Coming in on time, coming in that half hour early, getting your gear on the floor, starting your rig checks. I think it goes back to the basics. You mind if I read part of my paper? Not at all. Go so ahead. this is not plagiarism because I wrote this. Okay, <laughs> so if anybody wants to challenge it, come see me. But um, I, I'm glad I still saved this because this is actually a lot of fun to review. And it's going to make me laugh myself about my writing style. Um, but we had a topic saying, hey, like describe disciplined initiative, right? Which in the military, disciplined initiative is kind of those things like, hey, it's those good acts of discipline. So showing up, you know, on time um, for the good reason, right? So what I mean by that is like, hey, you start at 7 in the morning. Yeah, 6.59 is on time technically, right? But when you have a little more initiative behind that discipline, you're showing up at 6.30, A, because you know it's going to take time for you to set up your gear, right? So, and then also you're trying to help out the next person come off the truck or whatever it is, you're, you're, doing the little things that you know you have to do to get yourself ready, whether it's buttoning up your uniform. Um, shaving. Shaving, yeah. <laughs> gosh, you can tell I haven't shaved in a while, right? Um, anything, right? The little tasks that you do um, as part of who you are. Um, but having that discipline is coming up early to be sure that when a call drops, at that 7 o'clock that you're supposed to start, which happens, right? Um, there is no challenge, right? You are set, you are prepared, you're ready to rock, right? Think about those those times where you've seen some people show up late 
or barely on time and they're not set up and then there's a call and now they're scrambling for their gear and this and that um, or they're showing up, you know, not shaved and stuff like that. So that's kind of like the discipline initiative that they're talking about. Tell me if I'm reading too much, okay? But I think this has a lot of uh, feedback or um, reflecting points and maybe you can find a way to A, continue what you're trying to do to your recruits, but then find a way to remind your LT that you're not doing this out of ego. You're not doing this out of a self-win. You're not doing this to try to steal his job. You're doing this because it's your way of discipline initiative, right? By encompassing, and the letters or the essay was like, hey, define discipline initiative. And I titled my paper with initiating the discipline of trust. By encompassing, encompassing the ability of soldiers to exercise individual judgment, building confidence to take calculated risks, and encouraging soldiers to act decisively while adhering to their established standards and values, discipline initiative paves the success of the U.S. military's operations on the foundation of trust amongst the leaders and the led. This essay, yada, yada, it's going to go over so-and-so. Um, the mission of the U.S. military is, is succeeded by the cohesion, operational fortitude, and trust between the leader and the led. This can be best strengthened in the training and leadership development of our soldiers through the dedicated procedure of balancing confidence and delegation amongst the operational orders of mission command. Mission command in the military, you're talking about like, hey, these are the officers, like the BCs, right? Like you are, right? Oh my God, like the BCs, <laughs> the, the captains, right? The, okay. the people who own the crew, so to speak. I know ownership is probably not the best word, but they own the accountability of the crew. We'll say it that way. Um, so mission command is talking about like, hey, these are the people who are saying, here's where we have the mission at hand. Um, they're going to try to paint the picture of how to accomplish that mission. We need to pass this along to the people who are going to actually act on this mission. Um, where was I? The process is cultivated by empowering every soldier with confidence, experience, and competence to make decisions in the absence of orders while maintaining fortitude in the intent of the mission's goal. As described in the journal for review, leaders understand that learning from mistakes in garrison and during training is an effective way to build proficiency. By exposing our recruits, soldiers, and developing leaders to a training environment where success and failure are not only experienced but equally encouraged, our students can better grasp the why behind what they do. You could tell I wrote this. Right? I'm telling you. I was living that why back then, right? And I think a lot of it was like me reflecting, like, hey, how do I run this program? How do I run my instruction style? Um, How do I continue? everything else I'm doing, right? And what the environment I'm trying to seek out. I keep losing my spot. When a self-sustained workforce is developed, the trust and discipline initiative is strengthened, thus leading into the success of the mission command. The, this understanding of the discipline initiative while accomplishing mission tasks by allocating the commander's intent through empowering the workforce of the staff can be witnessed through the respective missions command, where a discipline initiative can be best understood as ability for all soldiers to make their own decisions and integration toward an operation success. Mission command can be defined as a very reflection of that culture's mittens. 
expressing the very goal and desired outcome of an operation through the designated leadership without, without the micromanagement of how to deploy a soldier's abilities while fortifying trust for their own operational decisions allows the leadership to develop a workforce thriving to get the job done. Mission command can be understood as a non-negotiable, uncontrolled, or mitigated desired outcome in a unified structure for success. As a current staff sergeant and, United, and unit trainer within my medevac assignment, I've witnessed this trust embrace as a structural necessity of our operations while also utilizing it as a leadership tactic. An example of how I continue to reflect this workforce culture within my own leadership role is by not only emphasizing the need to maintain a medic's ability to stay continuously prepared for any change or outcome within their training scenarios, but also allowing them to have the opportunity to experience the reward and the failure of their actions, whether it be proper or incorrect. By allowing our future leaders the opportunity to better understand the why behind their actions, we can encompass their personal gratitude, sense of responsibility, and the purpose for initiative. I would love to dissect your paper one day. <laughs> dude, dude, and I'm going to finish it because it's one more paragraph. Give a soldier a shovel and demand that they dig a hole 13 feet wide by 10 feet deep. That soldier will question him or herself about why or what they have done to be given this tedious task. Spend several hours expressing to them your idea of the proper way to dig a hole will further lead them into a mindset of self-doubt and failure. However, tell that soldier the importance of this hole and praise them for how you've been aware of their craftsmanship and background in construction. Leaders can trust that the product of the soldier's work will be meticulously and efficiently completed. This is the very effect of mission command and discipline initiative. I don't know why I came up with that example of digging a hole. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Well said. Yeah, right? So what did you carry away from that? Crew resource management in the fire service, at least, and on the leadership side is how can I as a leader help my crew to trust myself but also trust us as a working company? And so when you're talking about, you know, delegating so that we're not micromanaging, uh, goes back to the crew resource management side of it, is task allocation. Letting, letting my crew handle something because I trust them to. And coming at it from a non-officer, it's really hard to, instead of being given something, going and being like, hey, what can I do for you? And I've tried. And I think you... You laid it out well of, hey, they don't need to know everything, but having that open line of communication of, hey, why do you want that person to dig that hole? Why do you trust that person to dig that hole? And I think it's really important. Yeah. So maybe you just need to approach this by telling the LT, like, hey, this is not me challenging you, but this is me trusting you. Right? Give us a task. And... Don't micromanage, and I don't say this obviously, but don't <laughs> micromanage. Don't tell us how to do it, right? Hopefully at this point you trust that we've been training with you and that we've been showing you that we know how to do the task. Right? Give us a task, and all you have to say is get it done, right? Don't show us the steps because these individuals are firefighters. They're certified. I'm assuming the recruits had to be certified before, right? Mm -hmm. They're just going through the in-house recruit. 
Um, they know the, the different variability of techniques and this and that. And yes, they're learning the techniques of this house. Um, but allow the workforce to develop the success for you. You know, and maybe that's all you need to say is like, I'm, I'm trusting you to give me this opportunity. Yeah, turn the tables, <laughs> right? Turn the tables. And it's, you know, reflect. It'd be like, this is not me trying to run my own show because I don't trust you. It's because you showed us the standard and you need to trust us to be able to maintain that standard, whether it's doing it on the spot or showing the next recruit how to do it, right? How to share the wealth that you've given us. So in turn to that, if you had a recruit who was either consistently late to shift or kind of just like pretty disrespectful, um, how would you then turn to an officer and be like, hey, you know, I've tried having conversations. I've, you know, we've, we've given some chances. What happens next? How would you ask your next in your chain of command of what to do? Here's a, first I'm going to ask you a question, right? As their trainer or FTO, right? How would you answer that question? I think my first response would be, is there a reason for them being late to shift? Because I don't, I don't automatically like jumping down people's throats. That's not, how I roll personally, that's not how I would want somebody to act with me. Um, and that's kind of what I asked this individual. And it was, you know, hey, I got up late. And one of the days, like, they walked in with Dunkin' Donuts. And it it wasn't like, oh, hey, like, I was stopping to get stuff for shift. It was just for them. Or it was they came in and they weren't shaved. And they were legit walking in at 7.05. Shift changes at 7. Recruits are supposed to be in the door by 6.30. And, you know, I've had conversations and... There have been times where, where the officers have kind of left it up to me as, hey, do you think that they should be able to ride on calls today? And, you know, from my perspective is if you're not going to respect coming in on time and you can't respect, like, hey, if you're going to be late, communicate. That's fine. Like, if you're going to be five minutes late, I'd rather you tell me that you're going to be five minutes late, drive safe, and get here than just, like, no conversation. And one of the days he was close to 30 minutes late. Mm. And with no conversation, with no conversation. And there was one day where I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm sorry, but like we can do in-house training, but you are not writing on calls today. Did you do that? Yeah. Good. And so then it's gotten to the point of, you know, I've had conversations. I've kicked it up my chain of command. They've had conversations. When is it the point of like, I I don't want to use the word probation, but I don't know if that's correct. But like having them kind of on a probational stance of like, Hey, you're not running calls for this amount of time until you get your, together like I don't know how to convey that because then in turn it's really unfair to my other recruits who are on shift who are on time who then aren't necessarily going on calls because this other person has that opportunity yeah and that makes them question question like why are we doing the right thing when you could clearly get away with not doing the right thing yeah and I've had that conversation of like of exactly what you're saying is hey I'm on time hey I have my stuff together hey I have you know, I have my recruit book set out. I have, you know, asked for tasks that I want to do today. I have my gear out. I'm helping with rig checks. You know, why am I not being given this opportunity? 
And it got to the point where I had a conversation with one of the recruits of like, apparently he was in a conversation with another mentor who isn't even assigned to him. And it kind of went down to, oh, you're not doing enough. And I then stepped in and was like, don't listen to him. You're primarily on my shift anyway. I see you in here. I see you working. I see you putting in the passion and the work. And I see how much, you know, questions you have of, you know, hey, I really don't understand why you guys do something this way. Can you explain it to me? And for him to be in there, like, day and night, he's on the bay floor and he's working. He's slamming cabinets. And I love it. But for them to literally be told by another shift of, hey, you're, you're staying here because the other person's going to go on a call. It's really frustrating. And I don't quite know how to kind of step up and stand up for that person without kind of having that that hard conversation where I don't want it to turn into disrespect because that's not what I mean. But I think that there's a line that has been crossed. And so when you don't hold people to the same standards, it can really get to people. Yes. It's gotten to me. Yes. And I'm not even in the recruit class. Yeah. So You've been delegated as their trainer, right? Yes. Okay, so you they've been assigned to you. Yes. Is there a paper trail on that? Yes. Okay. So each each of their recruit books have their uh, mentor's name assigned to it. So whatever they so for checkoffs essentially, like if you want to talk about like JBLs, they have an instruction with me, and then they have a sign off with the lieutenant. So I'm signing all their paperwork. So. So if push come to shove, if you needed to make a discipline decision right they will grant you that decision where they're saying hey this you can't ride them on this run today because you're late yeah you could pull that off right right then yeah i would say start holding that standard a little tighter right and push some of the consequences however there is a such thing as too much consequence, right? And what I mean by too much consequence, yeah, somebody could really earn all the consequences. Some Sometimes we find people that be like, dude, are you just looking for consequences? <laughs> like, is that your key role here? Um, but ultimately, as leaders, we, we need to reflect a little more and be like, what can we do? And that's why I made you, I wanted you to a- answer that first question. It's like, what would you do if you were asked this question, right? Um what can we do further to amp up the award, right, or reward? Um, and maybe it's having that standard to, like, be like, here, from here, this day moving out, if you're late, you're not going to get these runs. You're not going to get on these runs. And in order to finish probation, you have to get checked off on these skills. In order to get these skills, you have to go on runs. If you don't get these skills done by the end of probation, you don't pass probation. Yeah. That is the standard. That's what we have here, right? So we need to button that up a little bit. Um, allow the ones who do show up on time and do the right thing, allow them to um, progress, right? Because it's got to be a 50-50 thing here. you got to meet me halfway. Um, we'll help you progress, but you gotta you got to show up and follow the standard. And then as for that individual who's doing all these things, right, I would go back to your leadership and be like, listen, first – Actually, first, I would go back to that individual and be like, listen, I know it's disheartening sometimes when all you're being fed is like, oh, you're not doing enough or like, oh, you're you're not good enough or whatever it is. Again, go back to that good conversation. Be like, good. Because ideally, I know true in heart, 
they don't see you doing all this because they're not here with you. They're not doing the task with you. They're not here cleaning up the station with you, right? That's why they don't see much of you because you're out there doing it. It'd be different if you'd be sitting on your ass all day, you know, on your phone. Um, That'll be a different conversation. And then I will go to my leadership and be like, listen, I need to have the authority. If you trust me, right, clearly you trust me to be their trainer. Um, I want to hold them to the standard. And in order for me to withhold that standard, I need to have the confidence that everybody else working around me, whether it's the other ranked officers or all, all the other firefighters who are working on that crew, they understand that this recruit is mine. Because at the end of the day, it's my name on the paperwork. It is a reflection of my duties and a reflection of my tasks. Right, So I cannot have somebody come in and interject or try to change the rhythm we have going on here or try to take ownership or whatever it is, right? Because everybody's going to bark a little bit here and there. However, a little bark is okay. You know, a little bark is that little extra push, right? Sometimes we do that little bark to people because we know their true potential. We know that they're going the right direction, but we're just like, hey. It's, it's our very weird way of telling them good job. You know what I mean? It's a little bit of a jab just to remind you, like, hey, stay humble, stay at it, just keep going, right? Keep going. See how they do under pressure. See how they do under under frustration. Because when I was a recruit and somebody, and I encountered a lot of that, I promise you, um, a lot of different barks, you know, and it just wasn't productive. But it sent me home mad, and it went through a phase of, like, I don't even want to come to work anymore. I hate this. This is frustrating. This is not what I signed up for. And eventually it was like, you know what? Good. Sweet. I like it. I want it. Give me some more of it. Right? Bark at me. What am I going to do? I'm going to sit here. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to watch you bark. Right? And I'm going to pick up a a mop and go do my job. Because I'm better than that. At some point I'm going to be in your seat. Right? And at some point I'm going to be a better firefighter than you. I'm going to be a better lieutenant than you. I'm going to be a better captain than you, whatever it is down the road, right? You are what I don't want to become. So good. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to show me what I don't want to be, right? And there's ways of, yeah, I'm sure I didn't say that verbally to some people, <laughs> right? But I think in a nonverbal way to where I am now, I rubbed it in their face, Right? Because I am now that person that people are coming to, right, and are seen working alongside with them or taking the initiative to do something every day, right, that has that actual, that actual discipline. And some people are, you know, I've, I've always had conversations with some guys and gals and the crew. They're like, hey, why you do? Don't do all that. Don't do too much, man, <laughs> you know. And I probably, one thing about me, if you ever get to, to know me when, cause we get detailed out. So if I have to go work another firehouse and whatnot and the culture of every firehouse is whoever's detailed there, they don't do the chores, right? Really? They, they're not supposed to okay. cause you're a guest of that firehouse, so to speak. Okay. Um, but I have never been one to accept that, you know, and I get in there and I try to steal the dishes from them, you know, and I try to just get in there before they, anybody else could do it. And I start picking up a mop look and then this and that I start doing all the tests and a lot of firehouses, a little, they give me a little push here and there. You know, they try to give me a little bit of fight, but eventually they let it go, right? And it's mainly because I tell them, it's like, hey, the standard is to take care of the house. 
right? If I could be another set of hands to get the standard done so we have the rest of the day to do whatever we want, let me help. And to me, for me, knowing that you have a gym here and I want to get my workout at some point, I want to, you know, do some work on some point. Um, there's some things I need to take care of personally. I need, I need to take care of. So me taking care of your house alongside with you, even though I'm a guest, it's kind of me buying my way into being able to take some your free time on shift. Yeah, yeah, right. Take some of those things on me, and yeah, I could just sit on my ass and watch you guys do all this, and and I'd get away with it because that's a culture, right? But I'm gonna get a workout in, and if 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 me doing some dishes with you is kind of my my way of saying thank you for letting me to get a workout in at your gym at your house, then let me do it, and eventually they let it go, you know. But that's kind of the discipline initiative, you know. It's like I, some of the culture things because it's always been done that way. I don't always agree with it, you know, but ultimately I think you just need to have a little reality check or a reflection with your LT going back through the conversation and be like, what do you, what do you see out of me? What do you want out of me? Right. Um, and all that I'm doing is with trust of you, right? Okay. Give me the opportunity to, to lead these recruits. Yeah. I definitely think I have more of an idea of how to approach this conversation because it was something that I was definitely dreading a little bit because coming on as, you know, a greener firefighter who most green firefighters don't get assigned as a mentor. And so to have that, it's like, how far can I push that boundary of, hey, you know, I've been given this, but I don't feel like I've truly been entrusted with the tasks. And so to have a clear idea of how I can approach that conversation Kind of puts me a little bit more at ease, so thank you. How are you going to do it? Exactly as you told me to. Yeah? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to say, hey, you know, you've given me this role and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, you know, if you, how, what are you expecting out of me as a mentor and still as your fireman? And how can I make this recruit better? But how can I also take that task off of you so that you don't feel like you have to be that eagle eye and, you know, I don't want to say hovering because I love when they interject in training and can help fill in blanks or help just give more techniques, like you say. But just to have that kind of calmness so that, you know, it's more of a clear job. So let me ask you, what are you, how are you going to answer that question now that I asked you to answer for yourself about how to deal with this recruit? Does not mean the standards. At what point is the end of probation the end? You know what I mean? How are you going to handle that situation? I personally have a rule of three strikes. There's, hey, you know, it was a family emergency. Hey, it's okay. You know, whatever it was. Um, but to be 30 minutes late, come in, not have any sense of urgency to get your gear on the floor or, you know, to say good morning or even look at your rigs. Um, I found that pretty disrespectful just not even to myself but to the whole as a crew but also to the people that we're serving and I think a big thing that I push on these recruits is I don't know who I heard this from and maybe it was in the fire academy but hey it's not our time it's their time tones go off and until our rig is back in service nothing matters except that person's emergency and my safety um and so for somebody to kind of blatantly disrespect that it's all right, I think this person needs to be on probation from calls for a while. Okay. But okay. I also think that when he has that motivation or that passion to come back, 
I want him to kind of have that new opportunity to start over. Because you have to grant him that. Yeah. You're going to have to do that, right? Sometimes that's hard. And you're going to have to remind others to grant him that opportunity as well. Yeah. Right? We all, we've all messed up in our lives. We've all um, failed and have done things we're probably not so proud of. Um, but the best thing we've ever needed to overcome that is the opportunity to be that new person. Right? Yeah. How are you going to sit down with them? What are you going to tell them? That they're cursed? Yeah. Because let me ask That's you this. That's a really hard question. That's a hard question. Yeah. When's, what have you done so far to get him there on time? A lot of it, like, we've given him tips. We're like, all right, set your, set your alarm 30 minutes earlier. Have your... I'm going to stop you right there. I didn't say, what have you guys done? I said, what have you, Mary, what have you done to get him there on time? Tell him the standard. Tell him they, hey, put your alarm clock on there. That's not really doing anything, right? Yeah. What have you physically done to get him there on time? I don't know. Ooh, right? So let's dissect that. And when is the last time you've truly asked him, how's it going? The last time we were on shift together. What did you say? He said the typical, I'm fine. And it wasn't in a situation where there were a lot of people around. And it's not like I singled him out and was like, hey, come here, I need to talk to you. It was, we had that kind of free time on the floor. And there wasn't, you know, a whole bunch of people around. And I was just like, hey, man, how are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm fine. And I was like, hey, I've, I've been noticing you're late to shift. I just wanted to make sure everything's okay. Uh, you know, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And it was like, no, 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 I'm fine. And I, I try to bring up that opportunity of like, hey, if something's going on, I want to know about it. Like, this is the fire service. This is supposed to be a family. We're spending 24 hours together. You know, we are missing our family during this time. It's, hey, if you're if you're here and you're distracted because something is going on at home, let me know so that if there's anything I can do, I want to be able to help. Have you told them that? I have. You have. Yeah. Okay. All right. And it's been a lot of brushed off of like, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. You know, just, just sleeping in too late. And I'm getting the feeling that that's not the full answer, but I also don't know how to push that conversation without being annoying about it because I have that tendency. So Yeah, I've, I've experienced that lately. Oh, God. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's all for good reason, though. But sometimes we, we got to do that little push. Sometimes we got to be, you know, heart to heart, singling them out. You yeah. know what I mean? put them in an environment. Sometimes all you have to say is like, how are you doing? They're like, oh, I'm fine. I'll be like, okay, but how are you really doing? Yeah. Right? Rank away, uniform away, right? All that aside, here's what's going on. And I think you need to be honest with them, right? About all this. And be like, listen, you are not meeting the standards. Here are the repercussions that are being discussed right? You are not going to be able to ride. If you do not ride, you're not going to get checkoffs. You're doing that checkoffs. Your probation is not going to end. Right. Right. And I don't know what your whole department policy is for how long they actually have for probation and what has historically been done for somebody who doesn't meet the standards in probation. Right. You're going to have to dissect that with that. And at some point you're going to have to be honest and be like, listen, this is, this is the route it's going. You are my recruit. I am your mentor. We're either going to fail together or we're going to succeed together. 
But in order to achieve that, we need to talk. We need to have a conversation. Because, yes, you're here 24 hours for, what, three times a week kind of thing, right? And you're away, you know, the rest of the day. But all your time away has a direct influence on how you are here. So we need to have the conversation. Why are you showing up late? Why are you showing up unshaved, right? Why are you doing this and that? What is it that we need to do together to get this done? And then I would challenge you to hold yourself accountable that if he shows up late, you're late, right? So what I've done, it is a team, but hold yourself accountable to that. Like prepare for the repercussions and then take it as like, oh man, okay, if I'm going to get the repercussions on it, I need to make sure he, he shows up late. Right. Um, I've had a similar instance with a soldier before them not showing up on, on our formations on time. And it's not just me. Yeah. The first couple of times I'll stand there and just wait. Right. And then have the talk with them afterwards. It'd be like, you're late, you know? Um, but it came to a point where it was like, you know what? All right. If he's not going to wake up 30 minutes earlier, then I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier and I'm going to go to his barrack and I'm going to knock on his door and be like, we're going to work. What do we need? Let's grab your bag. Let's grab your uniforms. Because I'm now taking accountability for your actions because you're a direct reflection of me. Yeah. So maybe at some point have that heart-to-heart conversation and be like, listen, all this put aside. What is it that's causing you to be late? Is it truly just because you are waking up late and the alarm clocks are not working? Okay. I'm going to wake you up at 4 o'clock. I'm going to wake up anyway. I'm going to be that 4 a.m. call. That's right. (laughs) Be that 4 a.m. call. You know? Um, Get to know them. Right, take the moment to to get to know your people, and and the more you know them, the more you're gonna learn what they really have going on, you know, and maybe some of the challenges that he's he's currently facing. I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, that maybe they're fighting something, or maybe they they're struggling with something, you know, and then I assume the worst, and then I rule it out until they show me different, you know, um, but mainly. The only way to do that is is taking accountability of it, not just as on paper, right? That you're signing off, like be like, no, like in order for me to show up on work, I need to walk in with you, right? Right? In order for you to put your my, in order for me to put my gear on the apparatus, I'm gonna stand here with my gear in a bag until you walk in, and then when you walk in, we're setting up together, right? We're going through the the the, the reps, we're going through those steps, right? And then just start side by side, you know, training with him. And, and there's something that he doesn't get in the training. Go through it and show them, right? Demonstrate it. That you are not just trying to protect the standard, but you also follow it yourself, right? Crawl, walk, run, phase, or whatever it is for all those steps, you know, and then show them what it, it needs to look like. And then whatever moment they, they keeps tripping on, just keep dissecting it keep dissecting, keep looking into it, right? And then find ways to, to build different techniques and hopefully they could find their own techniques to meet that standard. That's what I would do. Yeah. But my, because the main reason why we're talking about this is because if you are, if we're going to role play right now and you were to come to me and be like, hey, I'm doing this because I trust you, right? At some point you trusted me to be their FTO trainer, um, all this and that, we have a self-reflecting moment, we're cool, we're jolly, and then you ask me this challenge, and 
try to figure out a solution, you know what I'm going to say? What? You just asked me to trust you to take care of the business. Figure it out. You want me to maintain that trust? Then here's another challenge you need to figure out. So if I hear about this again, that means you are not meeting the standard. Meeting the standard yourself. That you are asking me to allow you to walk on or to work with. I never thought about that perspective before. That's that that's how <laughs> I would react. You I'm know? learning a lot today. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But that's just me. And it becomes, if it really becomes a problem and you need to, you know, administrative support and this and that, sure, yeah, let's figure it out, right? If you need me to pull out the policies and show you what happens after six months if they don't meet the standards, yeah, let's dissect it. Let's have a conversation. And then have the heart-to-heart with him. Show them this is the standard. Here's a policy. You've got a paper copy of it. I'm going to talk to you about it. Here's what happens if you don't meet your checkoffs, right, your skills, Here's what happens to your probation. Here's the consequences if you don't meet those standards. Now, here are the standards you are not meeting. Let's figure out a solution for this. Whether it is me waiting there at the door, not ready to go, and I'm just waiting for you to walk in, right? Um, Yeah. That's probably how I would run it. And the reason why I say that is um, I use this on my, my own leadership traits way back when there's a, and she actually just texted me the other day, which is, it was a really good time. And um, cause I was going through stuff and she gave me a self-reflection of her experience with me as somebody in a leadership role for her. And it was humbling to be reminded of this stuff. But ultimately, you know, when I first got to her unit, you know, obviously I I had to prove myself and I had to show my way and, and, you know, work my way into a designated spot to lead. But to me, those leaders are not given that spot. And then all of a sudden they led like that's a trait that should be reflected off of them even before they become a leader, right? There should be the ones doing the standards. There should be ones helping others and this and that and going through the repetitions, making sure the whole team as a unit is successful. Um, and there they were two, it was herself and another individual, who weren't quite successful in the Army's fitness test on the run, right? So I kind of took it on my own responsibility to be like, you know what, fuck it, let's do it. You know, we got two weeks of a training session here up in Wisconsin, Let's find a way that we could get together and, and practice our run, right? Practice our sprints. And it went as far as me because one of the guys, he would always ask me, you know, I take care of the crew, and he would always ask me, like, grab me a candy bar from the PX or the little store from. Like, yeah, you know, so I always take care of the people, whatever. Um, but it came to a point where I'd pocket a couple, and then I'd show up to them while we weren't doing anything and be like, hey, listen, it's a giant open field, right? Some people are playing Frisbee and this and that on their off time. Be like, I'll make a bet. If you could tag me, you could have this candy bar. Okay. Right? And I've always been the guy of like, don't eat sweets, don't eat candies. And I'll, <laughs> I'll kick, you know, cupcakes out of people's hands, um, you know, try to, to get them back into the discipline because nutrition is key as well in this whole big picture. I was like, if you could tag me, I'll give you this candy bar. 
And we end up like running around for probably three hours, right? Of them just trying to tag me. It looked like parkour. It was fun as hell. Awesome. You know, but it became a game and it became a, a. It was fun training. It was, it was fun training, but it reignited their drive, right? And I think eventually, yeah, one of them tagged me. I gave him the candy bar, and I don't think he even ate it at that point. He was just, he was just like he was overwhelmed with the fact. He's like, yeah, I finally got him. You know, <laughs> he was just pumped up. And to me, it was like, you got me right. But here, here's the thing: we need to work on your run, right? Let's make it fun. Let's make it a goal. What is your goal? Right? Your goal is to meet the standard. Um, like the let's make this your priority, right? But the more you make training fun again, right? I think that's that's what really could reignite some of those personal challenges that some people face, yeah. you know? And sometimes that's just going back to the people and be like, hey, what do you need, right? How are you? How are you really? And what do you need to be successful here? And let them figure out their own answers. You know, and if somewhere down the road, I hope this doesn't happen, but if somewhere down the road she really is not able to be changed and he's never going to meet the standard, then unfortunately some people do need to encounter the failures in life um, to really understand the importance of of the success, right? Some people need to be kicked out to really see it's it's about a big picture, Right. And I'm sure we've all had our failures in our lives where we're like, yeah, that was me at some point. And I got kicked out of this and that, you know, because, yeah, I was I was a douchebag when I was a kid. You know, I was a whole different person. But I think it's because of that failure I went through. It was like, you know what? I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. You know, and Whether he comes back and gets another opportunity, yes, you like we said, you have to give him full rights yeah. to have a brand new page, right? not be looked at as someone who failed or who they kicked out or this and that or doesn't meet the standard. Give them the full opportunity to look as a brand new person. And then just go through the iterations again. Take accountability. And see what works and what doesn't work and trial by an error. Trial by error and then uh, drive forward. You know, some people are, they're not, maybe they'll, he'll learn that he, this is not the job for him. Right? So, that's all I got to say about that. No, lots of good things. It's <laughs> a lot of good things. A lot of good things. So, but a lot of reflection you're going to have to do for yourself. Yeah. I think looking back, I definitely use the same teaching style with both of the recruits. And knowing myself as a learner, and even here in class this week, it was a great reminder of like, hey, you know, they're not the same people. Maybe he needs something else than the other recruit and how I approach the other recruit. So just to, like, have that quick second of, hey, you have to look at it, too, as a leader and not just as somebody teaching. And so I'll definitely try to figure out the way that he responds best, um, see what I can do to help him if there is something going on, uh, whatever resources I can provide for him whether it's you know hey my my phone is on 24 7 I tell that to everybody like if somebody called me I I answer if I'm not in class or doing something else um so just reminding him of that and then also just like sitting down with lieutenants and be like hey you know you did entrust me with this and I'm very grateful for it uh 
but let me do it. <laughs> so. Here's probably the sum the summation of what you need to work on, right? You say that to everybody, like, hey, just call me. Phone number is always available, right? Um, and I think the reality check for you and your position is when's the last time you've called them, right? When's the last time you have gave them a ring and not on a, on a business, you know, atmosphere, but like, hey, we're off work today. What are you doing today, yeah. right? Um, find those other tactics to check in with them to remind them that this is a family community, right? Um, kind of like what you did a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. You checked in with me and, and you reminded me, it's like, hey, we're family, you know? And I think I needed that reminder of like, hey, I'm always talking about standards and I'm always talking about how we got to hold ourselves accountable. But sometimes, you know, we all individually need to have that little personal reminder of like, okay, if you're gonna if you're going to preach it, you know, I have to repeat it, it too. Yeah. Yeah, you got to hold yourself to the same accountability. So maybe try attempting that, you know, give them a a call off shift and be like, what are you doing? You know, how's it going? You know? Um, It's definitely a new perspective to look at because I think coming from it on my side of, you know, hey, I have officers who are, I don't want to say down my back about things, but like, they're definitely watching. Like, they entrusted us as firemen to kind of take control of their in-house learning. And so to have somebody who – you're so right. I hate that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Having having self-realizations while talking with events is unlike <laughs> any other. So if you guys could Tell see my more. face just change. <laughs> um, but having that reflection of, like, hey, you know, it is – it is my responsibility to not only be like, hey, my phone's on 24-7, but I can't honestly say that I've ever called him on a personal basis. And so to sit there and be like, oh, dang, like you're right. And so to kind of look at it from a different way of, you know, hey, I offer myself from a work position 24-7, but I've never kind of offered in on the personal basis. And so to put it in that perspective of, hey, we're both people, and I say that all the time, but I'm not showing that I'm a person outside of work to him. Yep. So. Yep. I think that's your solution. Yeah, I think that's what you need to work on. Because I think the the statement of like, hey, my phone is always on, you call me whenever, like, hey, my door is always open, open door policy and this and that. Um, that is so overused, almost like it's a tactic, yeah. you know, almost like it's a business slogan that everybody has to follow. Um, but I think your discipline initiative to I love go reach out, now. right. <laughs> For you to go reach out and show him like, no, I truly mean it. Right. Right. I think that could make a difference. Um, to really prove that you're not just, you're not just saying it. Yeah. You know, and, um, maybe that opened up the door to a lot more that you're going to hear. Or maybe it's, hopefully it's just as simple as like, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm really, I suck at waking up early and be like, all right, well, let's, <laughs> let's build some discipline on that, you know, yeah. but in order to build discipline, you need to have that initiative. And in order for you to find that initiative, you need to have a reason. That is, what is your reason to be here? Right. Because if you don't meet that standard, you're not going to be here. Right. So if you have a reason, like ignite that shit, right? Like, Make that <laughs> what burns inside you. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, yeah. I think that would be the key for your 
your your challenge that you had? You always have good ideas. I, I don't know where <laughs> I pull it from, you know, but ideally that's where the conversations go. No, but that's why I ask is like everybody's life experiences is different. And I think that especially coming on to the cadre is a, the youngest in age and also newest to the career field is I have such an opportunity to bounce ideas off of you guys. Mm-hmm. And I know that we had a conversation about mm-hmm. me not utilizing those as I should, but I feel like the more conversations we have, there's no harm in sitting down and talking about these things. Correct. Cause either I'm going to learn and I'm going to have a new idea or maybe, you know, you hear a different perspective from my side. And, you know, either way, it's it's good stuff. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. But that's, that's, a, that's a big thing about just having these talks is that sometimes I think we forget that it's also okay to not agree. You know, that it's okay to not see eye to eye or um, not like the different techniques, you know. Um, but it's it's allowing you to share your experience with your techniques. And, like, whenever somebody gets heated up, you know, I always give them the chance. It's like, yeah, show me then, right? Talk to me through it. Change my mind kind of thing. Um, but when it becomes a conversation where everybody closes off and now they're just hating each other and this and that, like, yeah, that's not productive. But I think as a soci- society, we forget to do that. We forget to talk. You know, we forget to um, just express. And I've always been told I, I have kind of that grenade effect. The, I mean, my sisters, and I'm sure my sisters and my mom are going to be listening to, they, they completely agree. Um, I have that effect of really just pitching the perfectly timed <laughs> statement yes. that just interrupts all peace and calm, right? And just ignites, like, frustration in this net. But then, you know, here I am just staring at the conversation or I'm listening to it and be like, it's awesome. I love to see you guys passionate about what you truly are passionate about, right? It's not just saying, like, oh, I believe in this and that. It's like, no, you're really showing it, right? And I think just having that moment to really allow yourself to do that is going to, embark this moment where you are proud, you know, or you are now a little more self-aware of how much that truly means to you or even allows you to be vulnerable be like, you know what? I sound really dumb right now and I actually don't think I am right here. I don't know what we were talking about just now, but I like stopped in the middle of a sentence and I looked at Mm -hmm. you and I was like, I wish you guys could (laughs) see my face sometimes. Yep. We'll just make that the thumbnail for this episode. (laughs) No, this has been good talk, but you know, I think we just had to reinforce like, hey, we got to have more of these conversations. And we keep talking about doing podcasts, and we keep talking about bringing this up. And you know, after every class or whatever, and every moment we have all the cadre here, and we're sitting around the table, and it's like, why are we not recording this? You know, like this conversation's perfect. Um, sometimes we need those impromptu, you know, or we just need somebody to get on our butts and be like. Just let's record. Let's well, get you on this. You texted me last night. You're like, you did to record? I was like, <laughs> sure, let's well, Let's go. do it. Let's do it. But I know you've been really wanting to push for this. Yeah. You know? So we're, we hopefully are going to get the ball rolling here again. But, you know, a lot of good movement here at our facility and our training center. And hope you all that are listening, you know, you could grant us the opportunity to show you who we are, you know, other than just on the mic. 
come to our classes, come check it out. Bring those those uh, recruits here. Yeah. You know, bring them along. Have them experience a day of the WTL cadre just breaking you apart. All right. It's <laughs> a great way to that's, put it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But that's I think that's that's something you have said, and I'm I'm actually really proud of. Is like there's a lot of self reflection in this building. Yeah. A lot of moments of self reflection. And. And it only makes us better, whether it's us as a person outside of our job and. You know, something I struggled with is when I first got into first responding is a lot of my family's in it and they're and we're just constantly involved in it. And we don't always take that time to step back as a family. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's outside and it's family work life balance or it's, you know, even at the firehouse and stuff like this of how can I learn and how can I get better and having these open conversations, there's always something to learn and different experiences that we can all share with each other. And it's all good stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. So take Mary's opportunity or her invite. You put it. You put it on Instagram very perfectly. It's like don't be lame. Come <laughs> don't to- be lame. Come take a class. <laughs> right. Um, get some. Get that moment of self reflection here. You know. And I, th- I think you guys will really appreciate it. So check us out. Uh, you can find our courses at uh, staywtl.com uh, on the course section. I mean, we're offering a lot of different opportunities here, but I think we could confidently assure you that you're not going to walk out with just a certification. You know, you're going to walk out with a lot of self-reflection and uh, a lot more self-awareness. So and we're slowly developing this into a bigger and better thing as well every day. Um, a lot of opportunities ahead of us. So we're really um, grateful for the people who are supporting and people who are following. And if you ever want to, ex- you know, experience a podcast episode, get on it too. You know, we'll, we'll have, we have a whole table. We'll fill it up. Here. Yeah. Come, uh, come share your voices, right? Give yourself the opportunity. What was the squirrel brain thing you told me to remind you about in the beginning? Oh, shoot. <laughs> that just proves how much we're both squirrel brains. Yes. What was it? Your experience. <laughs> oh, that squirrel packed nuts away, far away in my head. Um, what, was <laughs> what was I talking about? Our life stories and some reflection that you've been doing lately. Maybe for the next episode. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. No, I'll allow it to happen. I wasn't sure if I was going to allow it because I don't know if I'm 100% there yet, but I think it's um, probably just a good reminder that. There, there are occasional times that we need to be pushed into that moment, you know. Um, over the holidays, I lost my father. And it's changed me a little bit, you know, because it was, I, I'm very grateful that I was able to take the time off and get down there and, and spend some really good time with the family, you know, because it's been a long time since I think the whole family was there. You know, I've got one sister that lives in, she lives in a whole different country, you know, and I can't even tell you where she's at now. Portugal, actually, she's there now. Um, I've got another sister that travels between Chicago and Mexico, where my parents were living at. Um, both my parents are living in Mexico full time, probably five years ago. So it it, it always took a, a it was a rarity to have all the family together 
and we are exceptionally um, close, I would say, because we were first generation here in the States. So whenever we did like Christmas parties and Thanksgiving, you know, dinners and stuff like that, it was always just the five of us, you know, um, because everybody else is out of the country. So we took it as like our family. Yeah, it's really small. Although it's very large. Yes, we have we have family in all over places, and um, you know, my mom's from France, my dad's from Mexico. So there's there's a lot of variety of where the family's at. But when it came to the family moments, they were small. Um, but that made us really close, you know, for all of it. So I, we got down. I, I I got a phone call from my mother one day that my father wasn't doing too well. And I could hear in her voice, I was like, I, I need to, I need to go. I need to pack up stuff and, um, get down there. And we spend some really good time as a family. We made some really good memories. Um, there were times where, because my father, he, he retired as a doctor and he hates doctors, right? He hates, uh, where medicine has gone to today because of the business, right? Um, And he was a hell of a doctor, you know. I think that's probably worth a whole episode in itself of what he's done as a doctor and what he's accomplished. Um, to know that you know his first job in the states was scrubbing toilets as he came across the border and retired as a medical director in Chicago. You know, I mean that's that's a huge life achievement. But his practice and his demeanor in medicine um, was definitely something that I've held myself as a standard going through my career, right? It's, it's, it's the reason why my bedside manner is the way it is or um, how I take the job a lot more personally when it comes to medicine, how I've never wanted to not know what to do for patients. So I've always tried to learn something new or get more licensures, get more certificates um, to prepare myself better. And, you know, so knowing that he didn't want any medical care I knew at some point he was going to lean on me to take care of him on the medical essence. So I had to get down there and, and mentally put myself in the medicine, right? Um, making him comfortable in this and that. And allowing my sisters and my mother to have their more emotional and more reflective moments with him where I had to, again, just, I had to be medicine. I had to be medicine. And it came to a point where my mother woke up and she said she needed, she needed a break because he was having a rough night. Um, and she knows that I knew what to do to help him during the rough nights. And I walk in there and he was, he was resting. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I laid there you know, just hanging out with him in the room. And he starts getting up, and I'm like, all right. And he said, he's like, like I, I, lack of better terms, he, he told me that he's he's tired, you know, that he's he's been doing a lot, which he really has, you know. And he told me he couldn't do it anymore. So to turn my medicine to always wanting to help and take care of people and keep people alive and, and keep them survived to 
putting myself in a position where all I can do is make him comfortable was a little bit of a culture shock for me. But I think what was harder is that it wasn't until those two hours I allowed myself to be there emotionally as a son for him. So I've always told myself there's things that, like, I wish I would have been able to have a conversation with him, you know, before it happened and express. You know, I wish he could see this facility and how I put things together, kind of a reflection of how we put his practice and his clinic together. It's very homey, you know, it's very um, relaxed, it's comforting. It's not, you know, a clinic, it's not plastics and metals and, bed sheets it's a comfortable place and that's what he always was proud of his his, uh, his office to be is that people felt like they were home when they were being treated and that's what he wanted that's what he wanted to achieve so we try to make this place and I wish there's a lot of things and I could talk all day about it you know but that position I was in was vulnerable for me because I wasn't ready for it So I came to a point where I was, like, really questioning. It's like, like, I don't know if I could look at another patient the same way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I could, not that it destroyed my drive, but lack of better terms, it fucked me up a little bit. And then you had a, you had a ring or call me. I don't remember what you did. Either text or call me, but um, you gave me that reminder. It's like, hey, we're family, you know. And I told you some of you guys individually, they like, hey, this is what's going on. I find myself to be a little more opting for the easier route of coming back to normalcy, you know, not having to deal with the challenges face on because if I just focus on the normalcy, then the negative stuff doesn't exist in the current picture. But I'm also really bad at that because the more we put it away, the more it's just going to keep building up until we can't hold that weight anymore. So, where were the squirrel moments? I mean, yeah, <laughs> probably a lot of squirrel moments, but um, after his passing, which, you know, his, his funeral and all that was done the very Mexican way, and it was very proud, and, you know, it's not about grief or everybody wearing black. You know, it's about colors and flowers and remembering, like, the good things. Um, that's something I really appreciate about the culture there when it comes to death. You know, the Day of the Dead is a very huge thing that they really want to um, pay tribute to the life of that individual rather than focusing on the loss. You know what I mean? And, you know, eventually we, my sisters, my mom and I kind of gave ourselves a little time in our place in Mexico to reflect and and uh, grasp on to what really is happening. Um, but we had a, another family dinner with some cousins that were in town, and my uh, my aunt that was there. And you know me, typical me, I throw the grenade bombs, you know, just see how <laughs> conversations go. And it came to a moment where everybody at the table was kind of barking and yapping and this and that about a certain subject. And it was getting heated. Finally, my mom, who's very peacekeeper style, you know, she tries to keep the peace and 
she tried to, you know, just diffuse everything. It was like, yeah, let's just, let's not talk about this anymore. And I stopped her. I was like, no, you know what? Look at it from a different perspective. When's the last time you really got a moment to express yourself about the subject? When's the last time you really allowed somebody who doesn't agree with your beliefs share their stories about it? You know, and then you guys are, yeah, there's a lot of barking, but at some point you guys were listening, right? You're listening to the other side of the story. And that's what we lack in society. And I told her, like, that's that's what's going on and why we have all these problems that we do in, in, in our societies is because nobody takes the time to listen. Nobody takes the time to really express or talk through things, talk through the challenges. You, know, you don't have to agree to each other at the end of the day. You don't have to be on the same page. But at the end of the day, you're still either family, you're still either friends, you're still either neighbors, you know, or you're still both members of this community, you know. So I think we need to have more of those conversations or opportunities to have the art of conversation, you know, that we always talk about here. So I don't know where I was going with this. But anyway, <laughs> that's what's going on in my book right now, in my story. Um, so I'm grateful that I've been able to take a little time to reflect, right, and not get so focused on work. But I think I use this last class you're in as my way to um, give myself a reality check of, like, hey, your students love what you're doing. Like, Don't let go of it. Because, yeah, there was a moment in, in my moment there that I was kind of like, I don't know if I can really do this anymore, you know. But you guys reminded me that it was uh, a lot more rewarding. And I think sometimes we all need that. So whatever you've got going on, whatever the listeners of the show has got going on, you know, we do whatever your recruit has going on. We do need somebody to push us into that vulnerable state. Because if it's not for that one person, then, some people are never going to address it, and that is when it becomes scary. You know what I mean? We got to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. So. Well, thank you for taking that time. Yeah. Of course. If you want a vulnerable time, come call the show. <laughs> I won't charge you anything. I will throw a grenade into your... <laughs> Your, uh, your brain, right, will allow you to express yourself. And that's the environment we build here. So everybody's got something going on, you know, and it's not about how big compared to the others. It's everybody's got a speed bump, and that speed bump is going to hit the toll the same way. So just talk it through. That's all. But we've been on for two hours, which is great. This is this That's is a, crazy. This, that I know. Hours. That's what I tell everybody. That's <laughs> why I tell everybody. You know, I some some people are asking me to be on the show, and I'm like, yeah, you know, this is how we usually release it. It's like four episodes. You know, each episode is about an hour. This and that. They're like, you guys are recording for four hours. Like, damn, that's a long yeah. day. And I tell them, like, I promise you, you, you get here. And time flies. Like, yeah. it doesn't even seem like we're recording. It's us having a conversation. It can go on forever. That's it. That's that's the beauty behind this, and I love it when that turns on the table. Is that yeah? There's always that timid seat first, like how you put a mic in front of me. Like, 
what am I supposed to say? What am I not supposed to say? And That's this what and I that. said like, when I walked yeah, exactly, in today. Exactly. And uh, at some point when the conversation turns and you forget the mic is even there, you're like, that is when it becomes therapeutic. You know? And yeah, it's been nothing but progressive conversation and productive conversation, so to speak. But we got to do more of it. So we got more, we got to get more of the cadre out and more uh, of the viewers out, right? We've called people on the show before to get them involved. We could do that again. And we have like four new cadre too, me being one of them. Yeah. So they all got to, we need to make it a requirement, you know, introduce themselves. Exactly. Exactly. We got to show them how to do it. So if Mary could do it, any of you guys could do it. Amen to that. That's it. So come on the show. Um, come experience what we have as a training center. Come to our classes. Um, eventually, we're going to have some events. You know, we talked about maybe doing like a cook off here, just inviting first Thank responders. You. you know, let's get together, rebuild the community. Um, so I think we're going to try to do that this summer. So, but check us out, staywtl.com. Uh, you can find our all our courses, some of our blogs, some of our groups, uh, Instagram as well, the WTL Foundation. Uh, we've got a Facebook. It's so so. I think Instagrammers <laughs> are probably our bread and butter. Um, what do you always say? Stay safe, stay dangerous? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there we go. That's it. We're going to stick with that. Stay safe, stay dangerous. Um, dangerously good at what you do, though. All right. <laughs> dangerously great at having a conversation. Um, dangerously vulnerable? Oh, I like that. That's new. That's new. Dangerously vulnerable. Okay. Right. Disciplined initiative. The discipline initiative. That'll be the episode title. Discipline initiative. I like it. So, cool. Closing remarks. Mary, anything you want to say? No, I think I learned a lot. So, I just want to just say thank you for sitting down with me and making this a priority on both of our schedules. And I'm glad that you're back. I'm glad that you're talking. That's right. Yeah. No, it's uh, thank you for pushing the initiative discipline on me, right? <laughs> It's family. Uh, it is. It is. It very much is. So, yeah. But from us all here at the Within Thin Lines Foundation, we've, we're, again, we're thankful. We're honored. Um, we hope to see you in the future. Uh, come be part of the conversation. Come be part of the show. Reach out to us. You could either tag us on social media, send us an email. If you want to reach out to any cadre specifically, um, just subject matter uh, or put that name in the subject for whoever you need to reach out to. So and we will love to assist you. And then Mary's going to come back and bring her, her recruits over. We'll get, get some drills and ceremony done here and, yes, sir. and take care of the house. So uh, but wherever you are, whatever it is, what would you say? Stay safe, stay dangerous. <laughs>